Hi, welcome back to The Left Lens. This is Lessons of COVID-19, Episode 2. So I'm going to talk to you today about the second lesson that I believe is so critical to learn from the U.S. experience with the virus, and that is white supremacy. Now, not a lot of leftists actually like to talk about white supremacy. They don't think that it's important. A lot of them think that it's divisive. Actually, white supremacy is critical to understanding anything about the United States, both its foreign imperialist policy as well as its domestic imperialist policy. So I think this past week has been a pretty hard lesson into how white supremacy is at the foundations of the United States of America and always has been. If we look at what happened to George Floyd, right now we have the black masses in the streets a rebellion going on, a rightful rebellion against the lynching of by the police of George Floyd. And this is not an isolated occurrence, right? This rage that we are seeing, this righteous rage, is part and parcel of something that is systemic. That is the legal lynching, especially of black men, but of black people generally. In 2019 alone, the police killed 1,004 Americans. Out of that 1,004 Americans, 235 of them were black Americans. And that ultimately leads to about one murder by the police of black Americans about every 36 hours. The Malcolm X grassroots movement has done great work on this subject. But moving on, uh, I want to talk about exactly how we should discuss white supremacy, how we should analyze it, and how we should ultimately ensure that anything that we are doing places it at the forefront of our struggle. So white supremacy is about power. It's about imperialism. That there is no America, quote unquote, without white supremacy. This lies at the foundations of the United States, how the United States' capitalist economy was built on slavery and genocide. Slavery of African peoples, genocide of indigenous peoples, settler colonialism, which laid the foundation ultimately for capitalist development. The United States is unique in this way. While European countries inevitably in the uh, pre-U.S. formation era uh, did use white supremacy to expand their global empire, white supremacy in the United States is ultimately rooted in the foundation of this state. That the monarchies and, and so-called primitive communist and uh, pre-capitalist societies in Europe existed before white supremacy, but in the United States, because of its inherent role as a settler colonial republic, has always had white supremacy at its foundations and ultimately institutionalized it and rendered it much more effective than anything that the European colonial empires could ever dream of. And so we have a situation now where COVID-19 has spread across the country, largely undetected, and who has it affected the most? Yes, that's right, Black Americans. That also also lays the basis for what we are seeing right now in Minnesota, what we saw in Central Park, where a white woman, of course, uh, threatened to lynch a Black American with the police uh, just because he asked her to put a, a leash on her dog. So... Both of these moments are going viral. A lot of people are being affected by them. And we are seeing black people stand up in Minnesota uh, against the racist police state. And we really have to discuss 
why this is happening and why it's so important to place this at the forefront of our struggle. What we had during the Bernie Sanders campaign, what we had over the last uh, four years, three and a half years under Trump, was a faux struggle against white supremacy at a very superficial level and a complete distortion of what it really is. And sometimes it, it just the ignoring of this subject. And this is why the left is so ineffective in the United States. It's why we really need to talk about white supremacy if we're going to uh, be effective. One of the reasons why white supremacy is such a huge lesson out of the COVID-19 pandemic is because black workers have ultimately been the ones who have sacrificed themselves to ensure that what profits can be made here in the United States continue to be made. And they were ultimately the ones who bore the brunt of the deaths in most states across the country where black Americans reside. Uh, two to three times the rate of deaths has been higher for black Americans than white Americans in many cities and states across this country. We also have to talk about how COVID-19 spread like wildfire in Cook County Jail in Chicago, in jails and prisons across the country, where black Americans are two, three, sometimes four times um, represented in prison than their uh, total representation in the population. Uh, we have to talk about how Joe Biden right now, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, two racist demagogues, are the options that we have for U.S. president. How Joe Biden literally authored the 1986 anti-drug abuse uh, bill, as well as the 1994 crime bill, as well as most things in between. How he worked with Strom Thurmond, a segregationist and a, dick, and a, and a racist, uh, who uh, ultimately spread this cantogen of mass incarceration to the black community and ensured that the legacy of white supremacy continued into the present day in the form of legal lynching through the police mafia as well as the prison state and the complete uh, dispossession of black Americans of their wealth, which is something that also isn't discussed as part of the larger class political discussion. And so if we're going to move forward from here, we're going to have to realize that one, as I said in episode one of Lessons of COVID-19, that self-determination is a huge aspect of what we need to learn from this lesson, from this virus. That self-determination is something that we are bound to respect on the domestic front. That Black Americans have historically been the most revolutionary, most radical, most left section of the U.S. population, and for good reason. My heroes have been George Jackson, Huey Newton, Huey Newton Asada Shakur. W.E.B. Du Bois, Shirley Graham Du Bois, uh, Lorraine Hansberry, we could go on and on and on of black Americans who have paved the way for a revolutionary path forward in the United States and have always realized that self-determination is a key principle that must be respected, that a lot of leftists here in the United States just don't understand right now. So how should we look at white supremacy with the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, as I said before, it's hit black Americans especially hard, native peoples as well. But there's something else to this. The fact that someone like George Floyd could be lynched by the police at this moment when black Americans have been sacrificed to the virus, where uh, nothing has improved for black Americans over the last 20, 30 years, not even with 
the higher proportion of black representatives in Congress and in the White House, nothing of that sort has done anything to improve the condition of black life. In fact, the condition of black life has actually declined much worse than white Americans, that we see the wealth gap rising. We see the fact that it's going to take 228 years for the average black family to reach the average white family's wealth. And we know that capitalism is not a linear system, that imperialism is not a linear system, which means that catching up is not going to happen under the current arrangement. We know that black wealth is approaching zero as of, I think, the new number is 2083, but it was 2053 or 2087, something like that. But it was 2053 in 2000, I believe, 15 in Boston. Black wealth is zero. We have a situation where the assault on the working class has been much more acute toward black Americans. And this is a lesson we need to learn in our class analysis, in our class struggle, that if we are going to come out of this virus, out of this pandemic, with a newfound uh, spirit of struggle, with a newfound vision for where we need to go in the United States, then we're going to have to discuss white supremacy. We're going to have to confront it head on. That's what the uh, black masses are doing right now in Minnesota. They are uh, destroying property. They are standing up to the police state. They're saying enough is enough. Uh, if you listen to Steven Jackson, former NBA player and uh, best friend of George Floyd, you really hear an emerging analysis of power where he says that the only way that police are going to be held accountable, and we could say the state in general, is if they start dying too. He did go to talk about the death penalty and how the death penalty would never be enacted against the police for their legal lynchings, and that is 100% true. But I think in that message, you can see that this idea of power and how black people and black Americans do not have it in the United States is a huge problem. And that white supremacy is ultimately about this question of power, that people who claim to have the interests of the working class at heart, who claim to have the interests of workers at heart, really need to center, really need to approach, and really need to ultimately heed the lessons of the Black Liberation Movement. That's what we at Black Agenda Report do every week. We heed those lessons. We try to apply them to our current situation. And we try to ensure that people know that uh, in order for there to be a revolutionary situation in the United States, black people are gonna have to be on the move and in the lead. What I think is it, it, an immediate thing that can uh, occur that can really move this struggle forward. People like Frank Chapman has been on Black Agenda Report uh, radio many weeks talking about is the idea of community control of the police. They're doing great work in Chicago around that, led by Frank Chapman, trying to build a movement for community control of the police, trying to have black people determine just what the character of policing really should be in their communities. That's a conversation that we need to have. That's a way to almost create a transitional demand a demand that can strip the power of the police uh, away from them and give black people a, a, a semblance of power to um, ultimately determine how their destinies and how ultimately how their lives should be protected um, under this arrangement. But we know that this capitalist, imperialist, and racist arrangement in the United States just will never be able to protect black life. And that is a lesson that we learn over and over and over again, whether it is the half-lives 
that black Americans, uh, almost a million black Americans are forced to live, if not more than a million, if we count those outside of prison walls who are under criminal so-called criminal supervision, uh, they have to experience uh, losing the opportunities for jobs as well as rotting behind the walls. Whether we see how white protesters, white Americans, uh, who are supposedly angry about so-called lockdown measures, can take rifles and guns into the state house, while Mumia Abu Jamal was wrongfully accused of killing a police officer, and so many black revolutionaries have been accused of murdering a police officer, and really, uh, not only did they not do it, but the reason why they were targeted by Coento Pro, the FBI, the intelligence apparatus, as well as the police state, is because of their revolutionary activity. They're rotting behind prison walls. They're being killed slowly as we speak. Meanwhile, these white American protesters angry about lockdown and the economy, quote unquote, are able to walk into the state house with rifles, guns, AK-47s, military weaponry, and absolutely have no consequences levied upon them. That is the definition of white supremacy. That is what COVID-19 has taught us, that white supremacy is alive and well. Actually, not only is it alive and well, but it is enduring. And as the crisis of capitalism continues to cycle and fester and create a new period of utter stagnation and decline, both for the conditions of the working class and the broader system in general, what we see is that white supremacy does not ameliorate. It worsens. It becomes more targeted, more oppressive. It becomes more normalized. And uh, the need to struggle against it becomes all the more important. So as I speak to you as uh, black people and their allies fight the police state in Minnesota, as black people every day are sacrificing themselves uh, just to make uh, uh, a wage that isn't fit for human life to live in conditions and communities that aren't fit for human life we have to remember that self-determination also applies here in the united states it applies to black workers black people as well as all oppressed peoples here in the united states native peoples undocumented peoples peoples who are terrorized as a nationally oppressed people. This is important to understand here in, in during the COVID-19 pandemic, and it helps us make the linkages that we need to make and develop solidarity with peoples abroad. We just saw Venezuela and Iran just wage a valiant struggle against US sanctions, where Iran deployed oil tankers to help Venezuela's shortages of fuel. Why are there shortages of fuel? Well, US sanctions are starving them. U.S. sanctions are starving them, and they're starving Iran. But we see that global cooperation happening right now as we speak. We saw what China did around the world during the COVID-19 pandemic. We see how there are examples of solidarity that we can learn from. But we can also learn from those right here who are rising up right now, despite the dangers. The U.S. government never has given a fuck about black people. It has always been organized for their suppression and oppression. Uh, colonialism remains strong. The crisis of capitalism and imperialism and the crisis of this pandemic has ultimately exposed all of these fissures for all of us to see. And now as we learn from this experience, we must come out of it with a new, 
newfound passion, a newfound orientation toward ensuring that the black struggle for self-determination, the native struggle for self-determination, and the struggle for self-determination in general is in the lead in the class struggle. That we're not just talking about Medicare for all, and we're not just talking about how race is divisive. Any, all of that needs to go out the window. This is a new period. I had to learn this for myself as a Vietnamese person, as someone who um, was always seeing black death around me in my own urban community as I was growing up, um, who uh, ultimately was shaped by the experiences of those around me, but also myself being called a gook and a chink, hearing the language of war all the time be used against me in order to, um, you know, self-annihilate, you know, in order to create a sense of self-annihilation within me, uh, the colonized mind. That is what white supremacy does as well, that we see when people rise up. And that's why I'm so inspired by folks who rise up against this imperialist and colonialist system and put self-determination in the lead, because it ultimately leads to the circumstance and the condition uh, that our movement has to be in. It has to be in the circumstance and the condition of uh, fighting the imperialist albatross, the state, the police, the military, the special uh, bodies of armed men that Lenin talked about. These are inherently racist bodies of armed men. And racism is not just an individual thought or belief. It is not just institutional. It is inherent, systemic, and embedded in the U.S. imperialist and capitalist state. And I hope that as we move forward uh, from this pandemic, as well as moving forward uh, in response to the state violence against black people, that we start to shed these myths of American exceptionalism, of some sort of colorblind society, all of these things that really do influence the class struggle. A lot of leftists uh, take on these positions even when they don't even know that they're doing it that the white left has just been so infantile for so long that we begin to um, reconsider what is important and uh, speak up, rise up, uh, build connections, build love and solidarity uh, with the oppressed and begin to do what George Jackson said all along, settle your quarrels. The, the fight against fascism is here, right here, and right now. You've been listening to Danny Haifong with The Left Lens. This was episode two, uh, talking about the lessons of the COVID-19 pandemic, white supremacy.